0: My name is Alan Wulhan. To summarise the argument so far, episode 64 explored the origins of consciousness from a mytho psychological angle, based on the view that consciousness projects itself into creation myths. Episode 65 presented the concept of imminence as the underlying philosophy, that a vast intelligence is within the evolutionary process, beyond the good or bad, or any moral projection like Shiva in Hindu philosophy, as a combination of opposites, a process of creative destruction, a cosmic principle, and therefore manifest in nature all life forms, human nature and even societies. Episode 66 suggested a summary account of human nature. The first four interacting and evolved components were outlined, instincts, emotional structure, ego consciousness and the unconscious, while in episode 67, the fifth component was presented, Higher Consciousness. Today's episode presents the early stage of the human psyche as it is immersed in nature and the realm of the Great Mother, mythologically speaking. The themes of fertility and power, applicable to all life forms, saturate the history of humanity. Most evidently, in this period stretching roughly from 40,000 years ago, up to the birth of modern civilizations, While Homo sapiens evolved over 200,000 years ago, with a brain the size and shape of contemporary humans, it was not until around 50,000 years ago that truly modern human beings emerged, as evidenced by the Great Leap Forward, as it is called, in tools, weapons and domestic artefacts at that time. A little later, after 40,000 years ago, There is the astounding evidence of the cave paintings discovered in Spain and France. The artistic sophistication of these creations indicate that human beings had developed an aesthetic consciousness. By 20,000 years ago, the principle of an overarching life force, the Great Mother, had probably been formulated, indicating that by this time, therefore, some human beings possessed a higher consciousness beyond material survival needs. Mankind had evolved from nature and was still partially immersed in it. This age of nature gods and nature worship lasted up to the patriarchal religions and civilizations that emerged around five to 6,000 years ago. For a detailed account of this, you can read Jules Cashford and Anne Baring's 1993 book, The Myth of the Goddess. The cosmic principles of creation and destruction express themselves in the opposites that lie at the foundation of human consciousness. These are experienced as the good and the terrible mother, the creative and destructive, both in nature and in ourselves. Consciousness developed out of this primary ambivalence, this matrix, which is rooted in nature as well as our psyche. For those listeners with interest in depth psychology, you may recognise that this philosophy of a primal ambivalence in the human psyche is exactly the same as that part of psychoanalysis built on the work of Melanie Klein, who took Freud's philosophy of a life and death instinct in the human psyche and developed it into a theory of the good and the bad breast as primal experiences of the infant with the mother. It is reasonable to suppose that with the development of consciousness of our species over hundreds of thousands of years, there was a deep immersion in nature, but at the same time an emergence from it. I suggest that this period of human development was not a benevolent Garden of Eden, but a combination of opposites, reflecting the creative and destructive forces of evolution, which later manifest in the human psyche as good and evil. I wish therefore to present the opposites of nature and the psyche in both their benevolent and malevolent aspects. At first I present the experience of nature as the Good Mother. She represents the abundance and fertility of the earth as well as the positive and loving ground of our psyche. The themes of fertility and power in the human psyche reinforce this theme of the Great Mother. In the next episode, I present the opposite principle, the destructive mother, malevolent nature, the harsh struggle for existence, the necessity of aggression and killing instincts, and the awareness of death. Early mankind's experience of nature splits into the good and terrible mother. The cosmic principles of creation and destruction pulse through all nature and life forms. The spectrum of mankind's early psyche reflects our experience of nature, on the one hand of goodness and light, on the other of darkness and death. Let us begin with the Good Mother and Earth's goodness. The Good Mother is the state of oneness experienced by the psyche, a state of harmony within itself and with nature. She represents the beneficent principle of creation, the foundation of our being. In the early period of our species, the embryonic ego was a small island in the ocean of the unconscious. It was precarious and surfaced periodically, easily and swiftly falling back into the goodness of the great mother, the unconscious, where it was secure and nourished. Psychologically, this state in early infancy is a foundation for health, and the capacity to love. When disturbed, non-existent or traumatised, then damage ensues. When enjoyed, a sense of confidence, happiness and security develop. It is the psychological foundation for development. In the early history of mankind, the world was partially experienced as the good mother, loving, abundant and fruitful in a state of continual rebirth. The ancestors of mankind, hominids and early humans, were at first totally immersed in nature. The first paintings of human beings that we are aware of in the caves of France and Spain, starting shortly after 40,000 years ago, show a participation mystique, an envelopment with nature. Her emblems of fertility and power were the dominance of our early psyche, This original experience of oneness is subsequently forever longed for. It is the template for love and union. It is projected into all loving relationships and continually desired so as to compensate for the isolation of individualised consciousness. It is carried within us as a sense of goodness and wholeness, especially in our bodies. For example, in exercise or sexuality. It is experienced in the healing influence of nature. The beauty of sea and mountains, flowers and trees. It can be enjoyed with animals that may be our companions. It is particularly connected to the experience of love. But it can be experienced simply in ourselves as a sense of aliveness and vitality. It is More esoterically, the mystical core of spiritual endeavour, the experience of wholeness within the self, the harmony of conflicting components of the psyche. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it is portrayed as a garden in which Adam and Eve, our primal archetypal selves, lived in harmony with each other, the earth and with God, in a state of oneness without division. In every human, it is the archetype of the most powerful and lasting of earthly love, that between mother and child. However, it is also achievable in the present by almost all human beings. It is our natural inheritance. Thus, goodness, wholeness and health can be active at all levels, physical, mental and spiritual. Love can even be a purely inner experience without external reference, the natural wholeness of the self. To experience it, it requires that the planning, worrying and repressive aspects of ego consciousness be switched off, even if just temporarily, so that healing intelligence, the gift of nature, evolution, the Great Mother, freely available within us, can permeate our bodies, minds and spirit. Early mankind lived in participation mystique then with nature. Its fertility and abundance had immense impact on our psyche. Reproductive instincts and sexuality are archetypal parts of ourselves. Nature is also overpowering. At first human beings are small in relationship to its power, but later become more powerful as they understand, manipulate, control and even destroy it. The creative life force manifests itself in fertility and power. The biological imperative of survival dominates all creatures, including mankind. This translates into two parts. Firstly, personal or group survival in the present. Secondly, species survival across time. To achieve this end, the masculine and feminine split into their two respective archetypes, power and fertility that deeply influence Homo sapiens even to the present. Reproductive instincts evolved into fertility rites, so evident in early civilizations, but which existed long before them. Power and fertility are therefore the direct manifestation of this life force and exist in opposition to the threat of extinction. Life and death, creative and destructive forces are intertwined in timeless embrace and constitute the framework for the history of all species, including our own. Fertility and power are then archetypes in human evolution, since they rise out of instincts, from our unconscious, passing through all levels of the human psyche. Firstly, in our animal inheritance, where sexuality, fertility, dominance and aggression, power, as well as related features such as display, creativity, and submission, receptivity, play their role. Secondly, in our hominid and early Homo sapiens history, where increasing intelligence, manifesting in weaponry, hunting, fire, and so on, provided us with more power and therefore greater fertility of our species. Thirdly, In the higher self of Homo sapiens, for example, our preoccupation with art and beauty, is the manifestation of the power of spiritual intelligence and the fertility of creative imagination. At all these evolutionary levels of the human psyche, animal, rational and spiritual, the life forces of fertility and power, eros and libido, are so strong within us because we face death. At the level of the spiritual imagination, Homo sapiens, anguished by the awareness of inevitable extinction, reaches out for immortality to transcend self-limitation and time. Early mankind, the creators of beauty, even left handprints on the Paleolithic cave walls, possibly the earliest marks of individuality and spiritual consciousness on the planet. Art and beauty are our healing response to the anguish of death. Humankind, throughout most of its history, has been obsessed with fertility and power in their many manifestations. It is easier to see in early humanity, but contemporary fascination with wealth, consumption, sexuality and narcissistic celebrity worship are just some examples of our Endless subservience to these dominants of fertility and power. Prehistoric mankind, from say 50,000 years ago to 5,000 years ago, that is from the emergence of fully modern Homo sapiens up to the birth of modern civilizations, shows the importance of these motifs in the early human psyche. The cave paintings demonstrate identification with animals, an immersion in nature. The strength of horse, fierceness of lion, power of bison, as well as nature's endless fertility. Humans were awed by the creatures of the earth, worshipping them or incorporating their spirit. The first cave paintings at around forty to 30,000 years ago do not display divine figures or even symbols. It's as if Early humans stare out, visually entranced by the magnificence of the creatures they faced. The longer one looks at these animals on the cave walls, the more one absorbs what the artists felt. The animals' power, magnificence, beauty and fertility. Here one surely sees the first instinctive worship of nature. These paintings were deep in the darkness of caves, sometimes hundreds of yards from the entrance, through uterine passages back to the inner sanctum, the womb, where we see the wonderful creatures of nature. Early humans crawled, like children, back to the womb of the Great Mother, to be reborn. The human mind reveals a numinous sensitivity to the essence of nature, its vitality, regenerative power and variety. In celebrating power and fertility, Homo sapiens rejoices in animal and natural being. Fertility worship, as this was to develop into, is the celebration of the power of nature and the awe of sexuality. It is our earliest dependency, the foundation of our love of the earth, and what was later to become the awareness and worship of the Great Mother. This layer of the collective unconscious lies at a foundational level in the human psyche. The most obvious ways it is experienced is in sexuality, where the instinctual forces of power and submission, display and creativity, entrapment and conquest, delight and consumption are the route to the most intense pleasure and orgiastic release. These forces of sexuality are hard-wired into animals and also human beings and are deeply responsive to signalling mechanisms which release hormonal and neurotransmitter activity, flooding the animal or human body and brain, taking it over and demanding behavioural sexual response. These signals, according to different species, may be different and varied. In humans and primates, visual signals are of special importance. These include, at their most basic, visual signals of the human body and the body parts. Thus, all parts of the human body can be imbued with sexual significance, as well as those of the reproductive organs themselves. The human imagination is enormously attached to and expands its instinctual base. Over the next 20,000 years, this immersion in fertility and power develops into the awareness that there is a principle underlying nature and her creatures. From animal and nature worship, humans became aware of a general force with a power and fertility permeating all creation. At this point, say around 20, 25000 years ago, humans are, as it were, Half in nature and half out, like a child being born. Some early figurines dating from around 38,000 years ago up to 20,000 years ago show half human and half animal composites, such as human bodies with animal heads, for example. Also, female representations, popularly called Venuses, but termed mother goddesses by Cashford and Baring, are very numerous and are closely focused on reproductive aspects of the body, with the head or face almost non-existent. Early mankind represented itself as embedded in nature, with individuality scarcely formed. While animal worship, animism, and nature worship are early experiences of Homo sapiens, it is their later natural development into the cult of the Great Mother that can be discerned at the birth of the great civilizations. Thus a female principle, and in some cases religions with prominent goddesses, can be glimpsed at the start of the patriarchies, around 5,000 years ago, all over the Mediterranean and beyond. Nut and her daughter Isis in Egyptian mythology, Kali in Hindu mythology, Ninsun, mother goddess in Mesopotamia, Inanna in Sumeria, Sibylle and Rhea, Hera and Demeter, mother goddesses of Greece, and many more. These had existed for millennia prior to the emergence of civilizations, now constituting a layer of the contemporary psyche, its unconscious. Beneath the fertility and power of nature and the psyche lies the creative, living essence itself. We approach this power by observing nature with the inner eye, with the awakened senses, which, returning to their original condition, as if to a garden of Eden, may enter into mystical communion with nature. For this to happen, the ego, the repressive and filtering apparatus that enwraps the mind in the mantle of consciousness, must be suspended. As Blake commented, quote, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. That's from Blake's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. This opening of the doors of perception, a freeing of our vision, may be experienced as a miraculous participation in nature, The dissolving of the egoic boundaries that determine but limit our consciousness. Despite all of this fertility and power of nature, the endless creation of the Great Mother and early mankind's worship of her, there is an enigma at the heart of this experience, that of Homo sapiens. The fertility, power, beauty and luminosity that we see in nature are partly a projection of the creativity of our own psyche, which is part of nature. We also are children of the Great Mother, yet we are different from all else. Mankind cannot be totally immersed in nature as soon as there is an observing eye, a separating intelligence, an ego consciousness, which has differentiated sufficiently to be awed, yet observe and represent. The great early works of art, let's call them, On the Paleolithic cave walls, are at the early stages of the differentiation of the psyche out of its matrix, a consciousness which is small in relationship to the immensity of the unconscious and nature. Yet this creature of nature, early worshipper of the great mother and her fertility, is destined to attack her with profound, perhaps fatal consequences. For the human species, one of the great figures of this early period, around twenty 000 to twenty-five thousand years ago, is called the Goddess of Lausel. L A U S E L. I feel sure that you would enjoy looking at this figure if you search for it in your search engine. It is a figurine, one point five feet high, a limestone bas relief painted with red ochre. She holds and looks to the horn of cornucopia, with 13 notches upon it, which are symbols of the phases of the moon and the menstrual cycle. The absence of facial features, the hand on the womb, the prominence of breasts and vulva, indicate an immersion in sexuality, reproduction and fertility, while the horn points to the transpersonal nature of the great mother. This is probably the first piece of art with metaphysical and symbolic significance and therefore surely marks a great advance in human consciousness. It points to an identity between the fertility and life force within the human being and that of the lunar cycle which through its waxing and waning, its disappearance and return is a symbol of rebirth. There once a mighty goddess lived, she dwelt in earth and sky. Of nature's life, she is the source. She bears us till we die. She holds the horn of plenty. Her hand is on the womb. All creation passes here as phases of the moon.